I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to The Bigger Picture, brought to you by the BFI. I'm Henry. And I'm Anna. Anna, were you studious at school or were you something of a party hard person? Definitely wasn't a party hard person. I was sort of both a nerd and a punk, very bookish, very much top of my class, but also aggressively contrarian. I like it. So it kind of took the radical poetry book to the punk show. That's exactly it. Nailed yeah. it. Perfect. I asked because this episode, thanks to the upcoming UK release of Olivia Wilde's teen buddy movie Booksmart, we're going to be talking about high school, teenage friendship and how cinema captures, quote unquote, the best days of our lives. But before that, Anna, what have you been watching? I recently watched a new film that's not come out yet. It's coming out in June in the UK called Late Night, which has been written by Mindy Kaling and stars herself and Emma Thompson. I'm in a single income household and Jen and I just had our second baby. I think it's time for a raise. I can't give you a it's like giving a raise to a drug addict. Emma Thompson is really the protagonist of the film. She plays this accomplished, super successful, fiercely smart and unapologetically delightfully hardcore mean late night presenter, Catherine Newbury. You're fired. You're fired, obviously. Oh, you must be McCreary. Oh, wow. You're fired. Whose show is flailing. We need to hire a woman. Would a gay guy work? No. And she kind of creates a bond with this kind of very inexperienced but very earnest and talented young writer that she hires onto her staff, played by Mindy Kaling. The headline of my analysis is complacency. And it is a very conventional film in many ways. I need you, Molly, to help me change this show. No more tantrums and no withering looks. Like that one. That's my face. But at the same time, it offers a, a great bitchy character in Catherine Newbury, who is very much in the vein of Miranda Priestley. Incredibly charismatic, terrifying, but also you kind of want to be her and never want to meet her in real life. Tell you what doesn't work. A newcomer coming in and giving me her assessment of my comic persona. The newness of it, the thing that really struck me is that it really drops this very tired, she can't have it all narrative, which we see even in Devils or Prada, mm. where if a woman, if a female character is incredibly successful and accomplished in her career and very confident in her own abilities, she cannot have... She can't be a nice person. She can't be a nice person or she can't have a kind heart or she can't have a fulfilling relationship or all of those kind of tired tropes. So that film subtly subverts it in a way. How would you describe Molly? Molly. Molly is, she said that I reminded her of a younger, younger her. me. I mean, <laughs> whoosh, 
And also it shows a really interesting growth and kind of character arc for Catherine Newbury in how she understands some of her own limitations entirely kind of based around her work. That sounds awesome. I've been watching Bodies. Have you heard of Bodies? Uh, I literally thought you meant the exhibition. Not the exhibition with all the dead people propped in various ways and a dead giraffe, I think. But um, (laughs) uh, Bodies, which is Jed Mercurio's, I think it's his second TV show that Mm -hmm. he wrote and partly directed. There he goes. Well done. All's well that ends well. This is the line I've prepped for you. Line of duty's gone lame. Bodyguards is BS. But... Bodies is brilliant. I have seen none of those shows, so I'm going to take that as canon. You've heard of Line of Duty. I have heard of Line of Duty. I've never seen it. Is Bodies prior to Line of Duty, then it's an older show? Released 15 years ago. Okay. It's set in Obsgyny Ward in a kind of fictional city. It's got Max Beasley as a uh, surgeon who goes in under Roger Hurley, who is a incompetent surgeon, but has managed to hold on in there because he's a, a consultant. He isn't experienced enough in general obstetric practice to hold the post of consultant in O&J. You ever made a mistake? Have I killed someone? <laughs> I've been a doctor for 13 years. Of course I have. Well, then, with all due respect, who are you to point the finger? It's just a brilliant drama. It's funny, it's clever, it's got characters in the way that Line of Duty now doesn't. And it's very, very, very gory and very, very raunchy, which I thought you might appreciate. I appreciate the gory, I appreciate the raunchy. Is it like a comedy or is it a horror? Is it a really drama? It's really a comedy. It's very cynical. It's very dark. It's got an amazing character played by Keith Allen called Tony Whitman, who kind of saunters around being better than everyone and being extremely cynical about bumping patients off his list because they're about to die. He's a supportive boss. He's hardworking. He's a good guy. Roger Hurley may be a good guy. He's just not that good a doctor. It's wonderful. I remember watching it with my dad when I was about 20 and us kind of roaring with laughter and putting our hands over our mouths because it's so gory and nasty. But then at the same time, just finding it compelling and you have to keep watching. So Bodies is on BBC iPlayer at the moment. Go and check it out. I will. Good morning, winner. Take a deep breath. Visualize the mountain of your success and look down at everyone who's ever doubted you. Fuck those losers. Fuck them in their stupid fucking faces. All right, settle down class for Booksmart. Olivia Wilde's directorial debut stars Beanie Fieldstein and Caitlin Deaver as Molly and Amy, besties who spent high school as beaners. Beaner Anna is a West Country slang word meaning someone who hits the books far too hard and never has a social life. Thank you and so I know much for explaining that. Because I might have been one. Anyway... <gasps> Uh, come to regret never taking time off to party. That's Amy and Molly and me. Luckily, they have one last night before graduation to stop hitting the books and start hitting the dance floor. Let's go to Nick's party. Are you kidding? No, no way. Amy, we only have one night left to have studied and partied in high school. Otherwise, we're just going to be the girls that missed out. We haven't done anything. We haven't broken any rules. Okay, we've broken a lot of rules. One. We have fake IDs. Fake college IDs so we can get into their 24-hour library. Name one person whose life was so much better because they broke a couple of rules. Picasso. That's, he broke art rules. Name a person who broke a real rule. Rosa Parks. Name another Susan one. Susan B. Anthony. God damn it. Anna, you wrote in our notes that you wish this film existed when you were a teenager. What do you mean by that? Um, literally just that. Yeah. It is raunchy. It feels real. It's funny. The way that Molly and Amy talk to each other and the layers of nuance in their friendship, it's something that I've 
very rarely. So I've only now started seeing it in contemporary films. And there's a couple of films from the 90s and early 2000s where I can see that as well. But it is precisely the sort of film that I would have loved to see when I was 15 to have that sort of conversation, which I was having with my friends and my girlfriends when I was growing up, exist on the screen as well, because we had to go through, and I think I'm not speaking for anyone else, but personally, and I think maybe other young women might relate to this, you have to project yourself onto other characters you don't necessarily identify with. Mm -hmm. But the way that, say the characters in Superbad, which are very kind of nerdy dudes, would speak was more akin to the way that I would talk to my girlfriends than any girly friendship movie, really. And that was always the purview of male young characters exactly. before, right? Yeah. And it always came from sort of um, male writers and male directors. Not that those are necessarily the only kind of authors of any particular film, but you can see the perspective for, from where they're coming from. What interests me about this in particular is that it does feel like a kind of Judd Apatow film, albeit with a, somebody who can edit behind the deck. And, you know, there's a sense Vicious, of... Vicious, but so accurate. It's true, though, It right? is really but true. Guy needs to learn how to cut it all down. Yeah. Anyway, I think there's something that, because of the history of Hollywood and the control and who has that control, mm -hmm. that kind of language weirdly... On my first watching, I was like, well, what Olivia Wilde is doing here is essentially ripping off that very male comedy. But that's not true at all. What it is, is that language, as you've just said, has only been allowed to be put into male characters' mm -hmm. voices. And it does, I think you're right, does feel really refreshing here to see two teenage girls be uh, like silly, raunchy, insecure and mean to each other. But it's not a judgment on their characters at any point. It's just part of who they are as people. Amy, you've been out for two years and you've never kissed a girl. I really don't know what I'm doing with all that stuff. I have a secret for you. I once tried to masturbate with an electric toothbrush, but I got a horrible UTI. Yeah, like horrible. I wish that would have been a secret, but you've mentioned it many, many times. There are loud actual personality traits mm -hmm. that go beyond just being teenage girls. You know, they are raunchy, they are selfish at times, they are somewhat self-absorbed and quite judgmental as well. I love that because teenagers are incredibly mean and judgmental to each other, you know, and they're at the beginning of this film... We are kind of positioned in that realm, which we've been educated in of kind of the American high school rules, right? There are the jocks, there are the nerds, there are the weirdos, there are the burnouts or whatever. You know, it's sort of like that scene in Mean Girls when Katie, the protagonist, is kind of explained the lay of the land mm. and the rules of the high school, right? The law of the jungle. Exactly. You can't wear a tank top two days in a row and you can only wear your hair in a ponytail once a week. So I guess you pick today. <laughs> Oh, and we only wear jeans or track pants on Fridays. Now, if you break any of these rules, you can't sit with us at lunch. But this film in the first, like, I don't know, maybe 20 minutes kind of breaks all of that up because that's how the protagonists have existed. They've based their high school careers on these social norms. But then those are entirely broken down in this really amazing scene in the bathroom where Beanie Fieldstein's character is sort of in the bathroom and she overhears accidentally some of her classmates talking about her, kind of talking smack about her. And she comes out and confronts them and kind of gives them a, a really epic nerd put down being, I'm going off to Yale and I'm going to have an amazing life and career and you're going to be a bunch of burnouts. And they come back to her saying that they all have equally impressive trajectories in front of them, which completely breaks down her worldview because she suddenly sees that she's completely negated a whole 
part of her high school life to herself based on these sort of very set rules and a very limited appreciation or very kind of harsh judgment of her peers based on these rules as well that are just not applicable anymore. We didn't party because we wanted to focus on school and get into good colleges. And it worked. But the irresponsible people who partied also got into those colleges. I'm incredible at hand jobs, but I also got a 1560 on the SATs. People are complex and can be several things at once. And one of the characters who's very much kind of positioned as a stoner type, um, Matthew McConaughey-esque dude, is going off for a job at Google with a six-figure salary yeah. straight out of high school. <laughs> and the shock on her face and realizing that she kind of had everything wrong and that affected her own life is yeah. beautiful. And that completely changes the narrative of the film. It changes the kind of very particular brand of high school movie into something kind of radically different where everybody is a little bit more complicated and human and they have kind of good things about them that are very visible, but they're also teenagers and they don't really know what they're doing and they also embrace that. There's a couple of characters in particular that are kind of pretending to be something that they think they should be, but then they sort of break down and realize or even confess that actually they don't know what the fuck they're doing or that they're a little bit more complex or that, you know, there's rumors or things or people have opinions about them that don't necessarily correspond to the reality of them, which I found really refreshing because usually that comes in teen movies, comes at the end as a big revelation. Mm -hmm. And here it's always part of the character arcs. Yeah, totally. I think the message about attainment, you're right, is really interesting in the first of all, being a success story isn't all it's cut up to be for the most part. And that's shown through the grown-up characters as well. Like the principal of the school is later revealed to be a Lyft driver, which there's no shame in that, like teaching wages being what they are. But he's kind of quite a hapless figure who is struggling to get by in life, even though he kind of holds this position of responsibility. There's another teacher called Miss Fine who has a very dodgy relationship with one of her students. Which, alert. Yeah, spoiler alert, it's all over the place. But if it was gender switch, it would be quite a difficult sell, I think. But in this case, it's kind of sold quite sweetly as her still struggling to leave high school behind, in a mm -hmm. sense, even though she's a high school teacher. So I think it's in two ways, it's really interesting that it kind of says that attainment for teenagers who are really, really into their studying and really want to get ahead is not all it's cracked up to be. The other side of it is work is bullshit, essentially, because if a guy can get stoned all through high school and then go on to a six-figure job at Google... It's like, is the six-figure job at Google really that much of a high benchmark? It might be, but it's it's kind of playing with that convention that success and career are the only things that you need to worry about when you're that age. What really interested me about this film as well is that we don't have a great track record of high school cinema or secondary school cinema in the UK. And we definitely don't have a great record of, I would say, female friendship or young female friendship films in Britain either or anywhere, mm -hmm. but particularly in Britain. Why do you think that is? And are there examples of British films that do this kind of thing? Um, well, it's not exactly a high school movie, but one of the first examples that pops into my mind is Me Without You, which is directed by Sandra Goldback, who's a British director. It's from 2001 and stars Anna Friel and Michelle Williams. It was always the two of us, Marina and me, best friends forever. You should dye your hair, Holly. You look like a virgin. I am a virgin. But you don't need to broadcast it. I screened it last year as part of the female friendship season called Girlfriends that we did at the BFI South Bank with Isabel Stevens from Sign and Sound. Sorry, that was a lot of plugs. <laughs> Isabel's the most deserving. Exactly. But it's a great kind of entry in the female friendship. I think it has a lot to do with Booksmart also in a way that it presents some of the more complicated aspects of any friendship, but mm -hmm. particularly a female friendship where there is an element of codependency and toxicity in the friendship between Amy and Molly as well 
well in the same way as with the characters Me Without You, where Me Without You is much, much darker and it follows the two friends throughout around a decade of their lives. So when they are in school and when they become young adults in a university and then when they're kind of fully formed adults in a way. So it kind of tracks their personality and their relationship through a number of years, whether it's book smart is basically just a glimpse of a one wild night at the end of high school. I knew that you liked him at first, but I didn't think that you'd do anything about it, Holly. Right, because I'm so mousy and boring. Yeah, if you say so. After all we went through, it's a mystery why we stayed friends. Come on, smile. But the thing that I found kind of really similar about them is that Molly and Amy's friendship is really candid and beautiful and honest, but it's also clearly quite codependent. And the big, not reveal, but the big revelation for them is that they can let each other go, but still remain friends in order for them to become who they want to be. Their trajectories are going in different directions and they kind of realize towards the end of the film, spoiler alert, that they have been using each other as defense mechanisms for each other. So they kind of hide behind each other, especially Amy behind Molly, in order order to protect themselves from everyone else who they kind of decide were their enemies. Although we kind of go to realize that everybody, like I was saying before, everybody's a little more complicated and those rules don't necessarily apply anymore. Yeah. No, no, no. Not acceptable. This is not okay. Who allowed you to be this beautiful? Who allowed you to be this beautiful? Who allowed you to take my breath away? I think it really develops interesting in this film and that it kind of switches away from straight comedy into kind of a more of a drama almost a relationship drama between them and that is as you say it's partly about the power imbalance between the two like molly is quite a forceful character who has always led the way she's the one you imagine if they were five years old and friends she'd be the one kind of making that imaginary world for them to play in and amy follows along with her and that is something that goes throughout any kind of film that has this kind of young person's particularly young female person's friendship in the centre of it. I was thinking of an old British film from the Woodfall era called The Girl with the Green Eyes, which is very, in the first 20 minutes, paints a really interesting picture of two young women from rural, the rural area outside Dublin who are starting to develop into women and, and try and go off into the world and find themselves, but they can't do that really until they break apart from each other. Then you've ruined it. There's nothing to ruin. Just look, such fun, so safe, kitties love it. The fabulous cradle bra. And one of those women, played by Lynn Redgrave, is really forceful and feisty and knows exactly what she wants, and the other one, played by Rita Tushingham, is much more mousy and is trying to find her way by essentially holding onto her friend's coattails. So it's really interesting that throughout the decades that kind of relationship has endured, but also the cinematic portrayal of it has endured, and that we can't seem to escape that feeling that always there's one person in control. Where'd you get all those from? Free samples. I like my hair plain and simple. Oh, yeah, simple. Oh, give me the brush. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I wanted to pick up on something you were saying before, that there isn't perhaps a great trajectory in British cinema of sort of high school set Mm. movies. Why do you think that is? Why do you think kind of American cinema has dominated that so much in the way that they've created a cultural expectation of what high school should be and look like in everyone's heads? I mean, even the word high school, right? Like, it's interesting that in the script I've used high school rather than talking about secondary school, whereas, you know, like I went to secondary school, Mm -hmm. British kids go to secondary school. But I think we still kind of refer to it as high school because that's the universal language that we understand which is weird but i think it's just because high school in america is is more cinematic like as you said in the mean girls thing you have the tropes of the different characters that you can easily understand the jocks the nerds the dweebs all that stuff the punk kids probably we have that in the uk as well but it's more fluid i think they're less clarified also the thing with high school which this film does really well is it's the finality of graduation and my bullshit theory about this is that it's all about geography that the us is such a giant country that even if you are going to college quote unquote near to where you grew up with your original friends that's could still be a couple of hundred miles away from those people and it's not easy to reconnect with those people whereas in the uk like when i went to university for example I would often just pop on a train for 40 minutes to go and see a mate that I knew since I was 10, come back and then see them at home at Christmas, which we'd always go back for. So there was a weird feeling that university was this kind of sojourn away from your your usual life and your real friends, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. And then that those friendships tend to dissolve gradually then. Whereas in America, I imagine, and definitely in American film, graduation day is seen as a kind of the final drop of the knife on this the threads that are holding this friendship together and that is it and there's a real definite end to it which i think this film does to an extent amy um the kind of beta character in this film Mm -hmm. is going off to botswana for a gap year so there's a very kind of final thing with that obviously she might come back and they'll reconnect but it does feel like this is definitely the end of an era in their friendship Mm -hmm. and that makes it dramatic and intoxicating and interesting in a way that kind of popping up to warwick to see your mate for a couple of nights in a nasty nightclub and then coming back down again just isn't I mean, I would love to see that film, yeah. <laughs> but at the same time... I'll star in my own movie, Anna, I don't mind. <laughs> Maybe Jod Abadou could direct it, <laughs> make a British super bad. Do you think that finality exists as well in college movies as well? Because that's the next transition, that's the next graduation, whether it's I think those are much more positioned at the beginning of the start of something rather than the end of an era in a way. Yeah. And the friends that you make in university or college, you then continue with sort of, you know, you move into your first apartment with them or whatever. Those are the narratives that even American film has given us. I just think nostalgia is stronger when you're in that kind of, I I might well be speaking from my own experience, but like when you're in that kind of 17 to 19 age group where you're old enough to know that school is rubbish and you don't need to be there anymore, but you're too young to ever get to university yet. And there's something really poignant about that time. And I hesitate to use this film in the same sentence as Booksmart, but something like American Pie 
it's a gross out comedy. It's got a lot of problematic things about it in terms of chauvinism and there's like no gay characters or queer characters in that film whatsoever. A lot of problems around consent as well. Yeah, yeah. a lot of problems <laughs> around consent and it's, 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 it's of its time for those reasons. Yeah. But the thing that that film did really well is capture that feeling of you kind of losing yourself to this process that you have to go through, which is going off to college and losing mm -hmm. your mates and not really knowing who you are anymore. You know, I put in months of quality time with Vicky. Sherman meets a chick for one night and scores. This is just wrong. Oh, shit. How the hell am I supposed to become this Mr. Sensitive man? You know, we're all going to go to college as virgins. You realize this, right? I mean, they probably have special dorms for people like us. So for a gross-out comedy, that film did that brilliantly. And so... Obviously, like college films are always going to hold a special place because, they, again, it's an exciting time in your life. But in terms of American cinema, I think there's something really special about the high school movie, particularly the kind of high school movie where that time is coming to a close and the curtain's coming down on that chapter in the characters' lives. I wanted to pick up on something that you said before. When you were talking about the adults in this film, it's interesting that you focus on them, I think, because one of the things that I really liked is the fact that they weren't really given that much space. Don't say we're having a date night. Why? It's funny your parents think we're boning. What you two have is special. Mm -hmm. We are going to show each other how much we care about each other. We'll probably just do a Korean face mask. I don't need to know all the words. There were, you know, very distinct characters and the teachers in particular were hilarious, but also quite vulnerable. And you could see that there were not just these, you know, very basic figures of authority that then you left behind. There were real people and they kind of connected and the adoration that the girls, uh, the protagonists have for Miss Fine as well is kind yeah. of very palpable. But there's always that one teacher that you kind of want to be mates with <laughs> even after you leave school. And she's that person. But Who was yours? My art teacher. Ah. Yeah, very predictably. Quick shout out to Mr. Stone, my biology <laughs> teacher, who was really cool. He played Jimi Hendrix in class. Okay, well, in that case, a quick <laughs> shout out to Mr. Littlewood, who showed me the Arctic Monkeys and Pulp and a whole bunch of British Excellent. bands that I really um, fell in love with. Shout out to all the teachers out there, Exactly. By the way. <laughs> no, but my point being, um, it made me think of another recent comedy that kind of got really lauded as well for the conversations between the teens, especially the young girls, which was Blockers. Mm. Did you ever see that? I didn't see Blockers, no. It's hilariously funny. It's extremely raunchy. Tonight is the first night of our adult lives. I want to go to prom and lose my goddamn virginity. <laughs> prom night. It's kind of perfect. I'm in. I'm fully planning on having sex tonight. Wherever the night takes us. The night's going to take us there. Wherever the wind sails our ships. Your ship is going into my harbor. <laughs> but that film, despite the kind of the most charismatic and powerful characters being the teenagers, and it's very much the same thing, you know, it's a graduation night, it's a prom night, and they all kind of make a pact to lose their virginity. It's very much centered on the adult characters, partly because the adult characters are played by well-known, recognizable stars, and they're kind of rushing to try to stop their daughters from having sex. But why do you think the thing that really stood out to me with this film is that those adult characters are not really trying to encroach on the teenage space. I think the adult characters are very much in their own zone because once you've left teenagerdom, it's weird to try and creep back in again, right? And that's the film shows it quite well. Like Mrs. Fine is is on the kind of borderline between college age and being a professional. So she's late twenties, I think, in this film she's supposed to be. In a sense, she feels like she hasn't left fully left her teenage years behind, which I think some, a lot of us can relate to on occasion. And but I think. You know, it should be about the kids, right? Like these stories are supposed to be about how these 
people develop together as a partnership and how, as we've said, you mm. grow apart. Actually, one thing that British film does do really well is show those younger people's stories on a focus on them instead of focusing it on the adults. So if you think about something like The Girl with the Green Eyes, mm-hmm. like Peter Finch's character in that, who's the older man who seduces the younger girl, it's actually not that important. It's more about Rita Tushingham and Lynn Redgrave characters. In a similar way, later on, Rita Sue and Bob too. It's about Rita and Sue. I mean, the title makes it quite evident. Bob is there as an extra, really, to help them discover who they are and to help them work out their friendship together, even if that means their friendship breaks up at the end. And then we shouldn't talk too much about male young friendships, but a significant film for me, at least, was something like A Room for Romeo Brass by mm-hmm. Shea Meadows. It's all right out here, isn't it? Yeah, it's all right. Well, I wouldn't have brought you out here if it wasn't all right. It was quite nice. Getting the fresh air. I'd like to build a nice out here. Sorry. Talk a load of bollocks, you do. Go on, and you talk. I have been talking. About what? About you talking a load of bollocks. We'll talk about something else. The kids can weather anything in that film. They're in a poor situation. They're in a situation where parents are kind of in the wind and inconsistent and not looking after them. But the friendship between Gavin and Romeo is consistent and will be consistent in a similar way to what we talked about with the Goonies last time Mm -hmm. in that in a weird way it doesn't really matter that their parents or their guardian figures are kind of borderline abusive and very very strange in the case of Paddy Constant's character they're going to weather it anyway because their friendship is secure enough that they can help each other through that kind of choppy waters so I think there's something really not exactly heartwarming but just kind of deeply moving about that idea that kids will survive, if you see what I mean, if only by looking after each other. You did it for your pleasure. Tell me. I didn't. Just tell me the truth. I'd rather you tell me the truth that it was all a joke and you did it for your pleasure. Would you tell me that? I didn't do it for my pleasure. Well, you know, you may look a right fool, didn't you? I didn't mean to. Well, it wasn't fucking funny, was it? Huh? I don't think you know what it means to mess around with people's feelings, do you? Hey? Hey? If you're gonna learn your fucking lesson, man, you don't mess around with people like that. What have I done to you? Do you think there's, um, I'm very interested in kind of female friendships on screen, but do you think there's been enough good representations or profound representations of friendship between male teens as well? I think we probably disagree, but. A Room for Romeo Brass was really significant for me mm-hmm. because I remember watching that film and thinking, oh, they're kind of, I think I saw it when I was about 15, but like they're kind of like me. Like they're just kids who've grown up together, who know each other very well and occasionally have a bit of a rough time and feel a bit crap about life. But for the most part, they have somebody else there. And they're also on that cusp of not really kind of being in that dead zone between being a child and being a teenager. So they're kind of too young to play they're not quite old enough to really go out and go to the pub or start drinking and being stupid like that. Life still feels like an adventure, albeit an increasingly dangerous one. And so, yeah, there was something about Room for Romeo Brass in this kind of naturalistic way that that made me feel that this was finally a film that understood what it was like to be a teenage boy. And actually, crucially, it doesn't rely on being a teenage boy and talking about their sexuality, Mm -hmm. whereas most teenage boy films, particularly the American school, use sexuality to get yucks or gross out comedy out Mm -hmm. of what life is like and of course you know being an adolescent boy is funny and weird and disgusting at the same time there's a huge emotional side that does for me at least tends to get ignored by the cinema but i I, sense you might disagree no i actually completely agree shock horror wow um i completely agree (laughs) and i think it's actually it's an interesting dichotomy because actually then the thing that i always missed in kind of teen girl movies and teen girl friendships as well was that other side the 
hyper-focus on the emotional side and kind of no reality, no reality of conversations, no reality of kind of the the fights and the negativity that can exist, no reality about the kind of the sexuality of teenage girls as well. So that thing that was, that there was too much of in representing teen boy friendships as well, there was not enough of in representing girlfriends. Totally. It's a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B, right? Yeah. Which I think you're right, like Hollywood in particular is getting better at showing that, that showing that boys can have emotions and girls can be disgusting and funny. It's still not great. You know, Like I think it's, without getting too deeply serious about it, it's really important to show through our culture, particularly our mainstream culture, young people that they can be a cocktail of whatever they want to be. It doesn't matter what kind of stereotypical traits you'd put on it, Absolutely. either gender. And so films like Booksmart, for all its kind of yucky comedy and humour, it, it actually does that. It lets you see that teenage girls can be a mixture of things in the same way that teenage boys can. It's just the nasty old Hollywood and other places hasn't quite let them be that yeah, yet. Yeah, and I think it's interesting that, I mean, it's kind of shocking that Booksmart comes about, what, 12 years after Superbad? And Superbad, I think... You know, for all its raunchiness and Seth Rogen-ish you know, antics, it very much shows a really deep and emotional friendship between two teenage boys who, yes, are mostly concerned with getting laid on their last night of high school and whatnot. But actually, really, and spoilers for a film from 2007, what they really <laughs> want to do is have a sleepover and talk about how much they're going to miss each other because they're going to going to different colleges. Yeah. Wait, you changed your name to McLovin? <laughs> McLovin? What kind of a stupid name is that, Fogel? What are you trying to be, an Irish R&B singer? Oh, they let you pick any name you want when you get down there. And you landed on McLovin? Yeah, it was between that and Muhammad. Why the fuck would it be between that or Muhammad? Why don't you just pick a common name like a normal person? Muhammad is the most commonly used name on earth. Read a fucking book for once. Fogel, have you ever actually met anyone named Muhammad? Have you actually ever met anyone named McLovin? No, that's why you picked a dumb fucking name. Very similar to the basic plot of Booksmart as well. And it's been called the super bad for teen girls, basically, which I think is a very fair comparison because they are allowed to be both gross and disgusting and funny and judgy and bitchy and at the same time be very emotionally sincere with each other and learn about who they are and what their priorities are and learn to let go as well. Amy, do you know how many girls are going to be up your vagina next year? Every time I come to visit, you, you're gonna be scissoring a different girl. Dude, scissoring is not a thing. Don't knock it until you tried it. Don't knock it until you tried it. And the thing that worries me a little bit is that if we're bringing more gross out into young female stories, <laughs> that gross out comedy is often seen as as cheap and as kind of easy to do and emotional cinema like real drama that presumably want to bring more of into teenage boys stories is seen as kind of weighty and interesting and so i do worry sometimes that the way that we look at these things will be like oh well female centered cinema is just getting more crass and more silly and we can ignore it and teenage boy films quote unquote are getting more emotionally heavy and so let's lord them a bit more so i think it's really careful to think mm -hmm. about how we talk about those switches as well that Instead of kind of seeing them as teenage boy, teenage girl films, they're actually just, teen just teenager films. films. Yeah, exactly. I completely agree with you. And I think there is, I hope there is room for both cross out comedy and weighty emotional kind of communication to exist at the same time, sometimes in the same film. One can hope and be so ambitious. Well, that's it for a tub thumping and very serious episode. The Bigger Picture is brought to you by the BFI and presented by me and Anna. You can find us on Twitter. I'm at Henry H. Barnes and Anna. On Anna B. Demento. A producer is a podcast best friend and our producer, Peter Sale, is the bestiest of the lot. You can find more of Pete's work at petersale.co.uk. We'll be back in two weeks when finally... 
finally we'll be talking about John Wick. You're so happy to be talking about Keanu. And I'm sorry for those waiting for that last time. Mr. Wick has been incommunicado as well as X. Anyway, next episode for sure, maybe. Your last line this time around comes from the sisterhood of the traveling pants. Maybe sometimes it's easier to be mad at the people you trust because you know they'll always love you no matter what. It's just like you and me, Anna. Cute. Aww. Yeah. Yeah.